Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the TR90 Body Burn 30 support call. This call happens Monday through Friday at this time, which for me is 6.40 Pacific Time, 7.40 Mountain Time, 8.40 Central Time, and 9.40 Eastern Time. Thrilled to have you along with us. If you ever miss these calls, you can pick them up on an app called SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcast by putting in Frank, F-R-A-N-K, Lomas, L-O-M-A-S, and TR90. And these calls are archived back more than 11 years. Um, they're all listed by date and who the host was. The last couple of years, it also includes... Um, basically the topic of the call so that you can kind of cherry pick through and um, find the ones that you may have missed. If you're listening to this and it's a podcast and you wish to join us live, then dial in to 712-775-8972 and when it prompts for the code, put in 910022 and you can join us live and we would be thrilled to have you along with us. I can't tell you how thrilled we are to have you with us as it is. And with that being said, I'm Susan Mann out of Portland, Oregon, welcoming you to the call. So I'm on the West Coast, which is why it's 6.40 in the morning for me. And I came to New Skin back in July of 2009, so that a long, long time ago. And the immediate predecessor to the TR90 program, which was the R90 program, I was on for right up until when they brought out the TR90 program. And the difference between the R90 and the TR90 was like night and day. I lost 20 body inches, but I didn't lose an ounce. So if you're looking at the number on the scales, it doesn't tell you the whole truth unless you've got one of those special scales that gives you um, muscle mass and uh, body fat and all the percentages, which is like the Omron scales. With that being said, when you're first starting out with that Tier 90 program, it is that really one a good lean, clean meal a day, two shakes a day, three snacks a day, 30 grams of protein at at least three of those meals, seven plus servings of fruits and vegetables every single day because that will give you macronutrients, micronutrients, and it will give you fiber. Guys should be getting about 45 grams of fiber daily. Ladies, we need to be getting 32 grams of fiber daily for good digestive health of our whole digestive tract. And taking your supplements 15 to 20 minutes before a meal is optimum, but if you're not able to do that, taking them with your meals um, is really important because then at least they're coming on board into your system and they're still working, but they're not as quite as effective as they would be beforehand. Making sure to stay really well hydrated. The current thinking is at least one ounce of water for every two pounds you weigh. So if you weigh 100 pounds, you should be drinking 50 ounces of water daily. However, if you're exercising heavily or if you are in a very humid area, you'll need to adjust that because um, you'll be losing body moisture and you'll need to um, probably increase it. And 30 minutes of moderate to heavy exercise at least five days a week. And that's really important because that will help keep all those um, body metrics in good proportion, but it also helps you sleep. It helps you do several other things. 
And speaking of sleep, getting seven to nine hours of good quality sleep a night is beneficial. Um, that actually is a sweet spot, that seven to nine hours. If you get too much, it's not good. And if you get too little, it's not good. Um, everybody needs that sleep because your body does a whole bunch of system resets while you're sleeping. And it helps you help set your brain up for making good decisions the following day. It just does a multitude of things. actually helps with how well you feel the next day, um, just with that being said. And so I am always looking for information to share with you that will help support our TR90 lifestyle. And today I'm sharing some information out of a book that's called Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity, and Disease. It was written by Robert H. Lustig, MD, MSL. And I am jumping into the chapter where it is talking about gluttony and sloth, behaviors driven by hormones. And I am going to read the little um, case study that he's got at the beginning here because kind of sets us up for the chapter. Marie is a 16-year-old girl with a brain tumor of the hypothalamus, which is the area at the base of the brain that regulates the hormones of the body. When she was 10, cranial radiation was required to kill the tumor. Since then, she has gained 30 pounds a year. She weighed 220 pounds when I first saw her, so that's Dr. Lustig saying, speaking. Her insulin levels spiked to an incredible height every time she ate. She had a, sm- had a form of intractable weight gain due to brain damage called hypothalamic obesity. She couldn't do any activity at home, couldn't study in school, and was severely depressed. As part of a research study, I started her on a drug called octo Reotide, which lowered her insulin release. Within one week, Marie's mother called me to say, Dr. Lustig, something's happening. Before we could go, before we could go to Taco Bell, where she would eat five tacos and an enchirito and still be hungry. Now we go, she has two tacos and she's full. She's starting to help me around the house. After beginning the medication, Marie commented to me, this is the first time my head hasn't been in the clouds since the tumor. Within a year, she was off the antidepressants and had lost 48 pounds. So whose fault? Who's at fault here? In this case, is this a case of free will? And what happened to the cause of, to cause Marie's reversal? If obesity is truly a result of too much energy intake, gluttony, and too little energy burned, sloth, then my last 16 years taking care of obese children has been a complete and utter waste, says Dr. Lustig, because it's become painfully evident after years of motivating, pleading, and arguing that I can't change children's behavior, and I certainly can't change their parents' behavior. It was this insight from Marie and other children like her that exposed the inherent problems in our current thinking, 
Biochemistry and hormones drive our behavior. The idea of biochemistry comes first is not a new one, but it is one that physicians, scientists, and the public should embrace. Think about the following. You see a patient who drinks 10 gallons of water a day and urinates 10 gallons of water a day, highly abnormal, by the way. What is wrong with him? Because he ha- could he have a behavior disorder and could... A psychogenic, be a psychogenic water drinker? Could be. Much more likely, he has diabetes insipidus, a defect in water-retaining hormone at the level of the kidney. You see a 25-year-old who falls asleep in his soup. Was he up partying all night? Perhaps. But he may have narcolepsy, which is a deficit in the hormone that stimulates arousal or erections in the midbrain. Biochemistry drives the behavior. Schizophrenia for 100 years was a mental health disorder. We now know that it's a defect in the dopamine neurotransmission and there's no amount of psychotherapy is going to help until you treat the biochemical defect. Thus, we routinely infer biochemical defects into behavioral disturbances. To appreciate how hormones control eating behavior, first we have to look at what happens to the food we eat. In response to various brain signals, hunger, reward, stress, we ingest various calorie-laden foodstuffs, combinations of fat, protein, and carbohydrate and fiber with some micronutrients thrown in for good measure. To build muscle and bone for growth and or to burn for energy. These calories arrive at the stomach, a muscular bag in the abdomen about the size of a golf baseball glove, which releases hydrochloric acid to begin the digest to digest the food in small into smaller components. The food makes its way into the next part of the digestive tract called the small intestine. There, a bunch of enzymes, proteins, digest the food into smaller components such as dietary fats that are ingested into fatty acids and dietary protein is sliced into amino acids and carbohydrate is cleaved into up into simpler, simple sugars, mostly glucose, with varying amounts of sweet, the sweet molecule fructose. But we couldn't digest dietary fiber, so it remains intact. The fiber speeds the rate of transit of the food through the small intestine while limiting the rate of absorption of the other nutrients, hence why it's important for, for, that, uh, for us to have that fiber, folks. Once absorbed into the small intestines, the amino acids and simple sugars travel via the portal vein to the liver for immediate processing. The fatty acids are transported to the liver by a different route, the lymphatic system, and the liver has first dibs on the processing of each of these three classes of nutrients. Whatever the liver can't take up appears in up in appears in general circulation, raising levels of glucose or amino acids or fatty acids reach the pancreas where the bella where the beta cells 
release the hormone insulin. Insulin, in common parlance, is known as the diabetes hormone. Diabetics inject insulin to lower their blood glucose, but where does the glucose go? To the fat. The insulin's actual job is to be your energy storage hormone. When you eat something, usually containing some form of carbohydrate, your blood glucose rises, signaling the pancreas to release insulin commiserate with the rise in blood glucose. This is the theory behind the concept of glycemic index, which um, we'll be discussing later in a later chapter. Insulin then tops off the liver's energy store energy reserve by making liver starch called glycogen and shunts any amino acids from the blood into the muscle cells. Excess fatty acids or blood lipids are cleared into the fat cells for storage for a rainy day where they get turned into the greasy triglycerides such as the fat surrounding your steak. There is no energy shortage with a storage without insulin. It is the key that unlocks the door to the fat cell and lets the energy enter and subsequently be stored as fat. Insulin makes fat. The more insulin, the more fat. And there it sits and sits as long as there is insulin around. When the insulin level drops, the process goes into reverse. The triglycerides get broken down causing the fat cells to shrink when it begins, that's weight loss. And the fatty cells re-enter the bloodstream, travel back to the liver where they are burned up by the liver or other organs, and in this way, are cycling by cycling our insulin up and down, we burn what we need and store the rest. Doesn't that sound interesting? So tomorrow we're going to pick up with introducing the hypothalamus. We've reached the end of our time for today. This is Susan Mann for November 28th, 2022, signing out on this wonderful Monday morning. I want to wish you guys a wonderful day. I'm going to take us off mute so that um, you can share any thoughts, comments, questions you may have. And at the top of the hour, if you scoot over to Facebook, One Team Global Live, one of our leaders will be sharing some information with you on how to build a new skin business. And I believe today's the last day for um, uh, the sales that they've had been having going on since Thanksgiving Day, and there is a coupon code. So do keep that in mind if you're um, getting new customers or if you want to put in an order for yourself. Have a great day. So there we have it, how we get to where we're at. <laughs> well, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Oh, oh absolutely. I'll be back bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and we'll be picking up with the hypothalamus and trying to figure out how everything travels through our body systems. Okay. Okay. All righty. Have a great okay. day, one and all. Thank you. You're welcome.